Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, we discuss the fascinating and predictable tale of a counterculture icon that was designed as a parody of commercialization and was obviously commercialized out of relevance. Max Hedrum. Brett wanted me to stutter through that entire thing, but I refused. And then Brett attempts something that has never before been attempted on this show, something that would have been impossible as a fledgling contentologist, breaking down a show whose finale was released just days ago. But even better, he keeps it mostly spoiler-free and discusses it with a level of detail that makes this one of the longest shows we've ever recorded. This is a commercially successful franchise that unlike Max Headroom, has not snapped itself out of being awesome. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. What do you think would happen if I didn't ask? How are you? <laughs> I think everything would continue on normally. Oh, perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm not going to bother with it. How oh, are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. That's oh, great. Yeah. We just had our uh, grand opening at Camp V. We have been uh, open, but I guess this made it official because it was a grand opening but uh, we actually had a fashion show here which was really cool and i thought of you and kelly catrone pr maven my uh clearly my favorite uh yeah you sent me some video and it looked pretty crazy it looked about like what i would expect from a fashion show though like people with giant feathers sticking off their back and then like you guys are in some crazy burning man tent it looked yeah. really awesome yeah that was the prairie wind chapel that um is a piece of art that has been at burning man uh, two separate years and is now a permanent art installation here. And it was also where the DJ collective set up um, when they did their live Twitch concert from Camp V. They, It was really cool. There's actually a tech guy here that lives kind of near Telluride who did live AR mapping. I think I'm saying that correctly we're augmented reality yeah so it, it's uh, basically he's projecting images on the canvas surface but what makes it unique is that he could choose what to um leave out so it's only selecting certain parts of the surface that the light is projecting on whoa yeah pretty interesting that's crazy how did you guys get that wind chapel did they have to buy that for camp v or is that like it's it was the artist part of the part of the project yeah it's a a commissioned artist he's he's uh definitely a i think a well-known artist that has attended burning man i think 18 times and uh, he he's famous for large pieces of art so uh, these large metal dragonflies you can look him up his name is robert hohen I think it's H-O-E-H-N. Um, we call him Obi, but he's actually living here right now. He is from California, but we have like an artist-in-residence program. So while he's working on the art, or he just came back to tweak it a little bit, and you know he's been working on so many other projects. He's a really neat guy. That's incredible. You have such awesome jobs, Brett. Yeah. I hope you know that your, uh, your gigs are really great. <laughs> I'm taking for granted. Don't take your great gigs for granted, guy. That's right. A little, little bit of alliteration <laughs> never hurt anyone. 
So what's new uh, with you? Man, I pretty much just uh, just pretty much been dodging Harvard for a week after we circumvented their entire process and kind of stole the contentology program for ourselves. So that's been taking up a lot of my week, just a lot of clandestine operations on my part, you know, just avoiding their calls. Wow. That's pretty much it for me though. I've been wow, taking that's the pretty heat serious. For both of us. I, I know it is. I appreciate that. I've gotten a lot of calls from scam likely, but uh, I have not seen Harvard <laughs> University pop up on my caller ID. Yeah, I've been uh, using some call routers. I've been keeping you protected, Brett, just so you know. I'm uh, kind of like your shield in this whole operation. I appreciate that. Yeah, you got it. Anything else new? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> have you been skydiving oh, at all? there's one thing. Oh, yeah. Uh no, no skydiving, but there is one thing. I do have an off-top for you if you're interested in that kind of I thing. I am. Oh, I'll take it off-top. Sure. All right. Yeah. So I found this. Oh, man. This is something that I knew about when I was young, kind of totally blocked it out, and then rediscovered it recently as an adult and was completely fascinated with it. So most of this story comes from – it's a Toy Galaxy YouTube channel. Uh, it's one of their videos, and – it's about Max Headroom. Do you remember Max oh, Headroom? Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit a little bit before my time. But why do I know about Max Headroom? There was, it wasn't the Eminem music video because I know that was modeled after it a little bit. He was oh, definitely in that. You know yeah. what? I think I went down the Max Headroom um, rabbit hole a little bit because of the Ernest Klein book, Ready Player One. That's what. Yeah, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, that's what sent me on the YouTube hole. But yeah, I, I like it. It was I vaguely remember seeing it. Yeah, it was kind of before my time, too. I mean, like, I grew up in the 80s, but it was, like, growing up in the 80s when I was very young. And so a lot of it I don't really remember other than just, like, flashes. But I'm sure everyone has seen Max Hedrum. He's the plastic, stuttering spokesman of so many things in the 80s, so it makes sense that he would be in Ready Player One, since Ernest Klein is obsessed with that time period. But I didn't really know a whole lot beyond his distinctive delivery and like the slightly creepy appearance appearance of him that kind of breaches the uncanny valley before that was even a thing. Yeah. But his story is totally fascinating. Uh, so he was created in 1985 by these three people, George Stone, Annabelle Jenkel, and Rocky Morton. And he was touted as the first fully computer-generated character, even though Max Hedrum was actually portrayed by this American actor, Matt Frewer, and he was chosen because of his distinctive look. Like if I drew this guy, I would think that he is too perfectly proportioned. Like nobody's going to believe this. I got to mess the symmetry up a little bit. And if you've seen him, you know what I'm talking about. You know, he has like this strong jawline, these chiseled cheekbones. He has like this overhung eyebrow ridge. Everything about him looks like he's like cut from some solid dense material, like cut into facets. And they really played up Matt Frewer's look with the hairpiece, which is literally like chiseled striations running from the peak of his forehead over the top of back down his neck. And then they when they coupled that with this plasticky, wrinkleless suit and tie they put on him that kind of overlaid the, his upper body. And then they put him against these crazy backgrounds. Like these had to be like some beginning of the computer era backgrounds you know like in the early 80s there's all these like weird striations and turning and changing lines behind him when you viewed all that through 
the lo-fi television broadcast of the mid eighties, it was very convincing. Like they would light him from a single light source. So it was very harsh lighting. And he looked like, I'm sure you can attest and anyone's ever seen him. You know, he looked like he was computer generated, even though he was played by this guy, Matt Frewer. They do. And then we do all these. That, quick, quick question. So they, they do yeah. like make it look glitchy or sound glitchy, right? If I remember correctly, like yeah, they exactly. edit it like, that way. It's not just him acting. I'd have to. Yeah. I, so, okay. He would have like a delivery, you know, like a very distinctive voice and delivery. But then they would do things like they'd make his eyes blink in unison with his mouth moving, which is like something a human face never really does. And then they would stutter him and and kind of like jerk the video around. Yeah. And so it it's it definitely seemed like you were watching this like crazy malfunctioning AI, which is really cool. And I knew that I had seen this guy Matt Furrer before. It was a. Uh, have you seen Zach Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead? Yes. So there's a character in that. He's one of. He's like the dad, and like he's with his daughter, and he he's one of the first guys that dies in the mall. And I remember always thinking, like, man, that guy looks exactly like Max Hedrum. It's because that's Matt Frewer. No way. He played Max Hedrum. Yeah. So he's the the actor is in there, and I guess he's had like a lot of like bit parts and stuff since then. But he was Max Hedrum was designed as an avatar to introduce music videos in England from the, it was kind of like a, an English take on the MTV style television show. And he was also a commentary on media and the TV personalities of the day that would manipulate viewers by pushing talking points and popular opinions and shamelessly promoting products. All of that, like in the pursuit of just get getting ratings, all the stuff that makes TV so gross things that, we've kind of moved away from now in the age of streaming, but they intended launching this music video show on channel four in England with Max Hedrum as the host. And he was kind of going to be like the link between the videos. But before the show launched channel four loved the idea so much that they greenlit a movie about Max Hedrum's creation. They called it Max Hedrum 20 minutes into the future. And the movie was about an oppressive TV station called channel 23. Cause they're awful at naming television stations <laughs> yeah. over there. It was this channel 23 was like this dystopian ever or this dystopian television show or television station that used these advertising techniques. They call them blipverts. And they were things that were like subliminally shoot advertisements into your head and they were killing people. And so there's this character, Edison Carter, he's like a reporter who, while he's attempting to kind of take down all the ne'er dwelling at this station, he knocks himself out on this Max Headroom sign, which is kind of like it's like a weird British sign, kind of like the maximum clearance thing that you would see in an American parking lot. Only instead of maximum clearance, it says Max Headroom, which is a real thing over there. So then, like something, something, a digital avatar is created, and Max Headroom was born kind of from this guy Edison Carter's likeness and Max opposed all the things that made TV so gross and he became this living commentary on these practices and then due to his popularity in England he was brought over to America he's hired by the Coca-Cola Corporation to push out their current mascot who was Bill Cosby which in hindsight was probably a great move and he was they hired Max to kind of like hip up their brand and become a mascot for New Coke which was like the totally bogus version of Coke that nobody wanted. And then that spawned the Cola Wars, which saw like the rise of the Pepsi challenge. And you're not yeah. going to believe this, but as an interesting side note, the Cola Wars also brought about the creation of something called a Cokeologist, 
which oh I hear <laughs> is a real thing. Are you serious? Yeah, all ologists are real. Okay. But <laughs> so through the process of creating this parody about the disingenuous nature of TV and broadcasting practices, Max Hedrum exploded in popularity and he was soon plastered across basically any product you can imagine. He was a star of several TV shows. He was in video games and billboards, basically pushing every product under the sun once he was brought to America. And to continue growing, he had to keep pushing for ratings. And as a result, the original vision of this counterculture icon fighting against the media establishment became everything he was created to oppose. You know, it should have been obvious from the start. I think in hindsight, we could have all seen that coming that he would eventually become like completely bastardized once his popularity caught on. But I guess they weren't really thinking that far ahead in things in the eighties. You know, it's wow. like, it's like uh, as soon as, as soon as anything is po- that's popular is latched onto, it's like the drive to commercialize it is so strong. And he was kind of like a victim of his own success in that regard, you know? And I would say, let that be a lesson to anyone who wants to do something on TV you know, luckily we have like internet today today. And I wonder kind of like what his story would have been with the independent media format of the 21st century. But unfortunately that is not the era he was created in. So we had like this meteoric rise and then just like totally tanked whenever he, everybody saw that he was talking about like the media and talking about advertisements and, you know, he was kind of subverting all that stuff. And they're like, wait, aren't you the face of new Coke? So it, was, it became very disingenuous very quickly, I can imagine. Wow, that's really interesting. I had no idea there was such a involved history. I just thought it was something that... I thought it was an MTV creation that was just it kind of meant as like a bumper between shows or something like that. Well, that I mean, that's what he was for, but it was in England, you know, the yeah. English MTV. And then once it came here, I mean, he was on everything. Huh. One of the... One of the craziest things in relation to Max Hedrum was, uh, have you ever heard of the Max Hedrum incident, which was uh, happened in uh, 1987 on a Chicago TV station? Did you ever run across video of this or hear this story? Oh, this was uh, somebody like hacked into the feed or something and pretended to be Max Hedrum or what? I don't remember the yeah, details. It was, we'll share the video uh, in the show notes because it is awesome and it's super creepy. But it was during a, a showing of Doctor Who, and right in the middle of the show, the feed like cuts out. It, it like gets all staticky, and then this—it's about a, a minute and a half long broadcast. These pirate broadcasters made, and it's a guy in a Max Headroom uh, mask, and he's in front of these people. That have like it's like a sheet of corrugated metal, and they're spinning it around behind him to kind of make the effect of the crazy Max Headroom backdrop, and it. It's very convincing and it's all staticky and looks crazy. And then they put this, this like distortion over his voice. So you can barely understand what he's saying. The video that I'll share has, uh, has subtitles and he's saying all this crazy, just like non sequitur stuff. And then at the end, it ends with him pulling his pants down. Then someone from off screen is like sweat swatting his bare ass with a fly swatter. It's all like super bizarre. And then goes back to Dr. Who at the end. They never caught these pirates. It's just in and out this one awesome prank, which is just like so amazing. And I think that is like, I it's like the perfect legacy for him because it's like exactly what he was designed for. You know, he was designed to like 
bust through and like cut through the message of the man. And these guys did this. And of course, like everybody went looking for him, but they were probably like the most pure Max Hedrum fans of all time. You know, it's, it's like almost his story to a T, which is so good. Yeah, I do remember a long time ago reading something about that. You know what that kind of reminds me of is a recent Reply All episode um, that I listened to, The Great Momo Panic. Have you heard about that? It's about these like almost subliminal or like these hidden, bizarre or dark or even dangerous messages within all the children's content on YouTube because there's a huge market for that. Are you familiar with that or have you heard that episode? Yeah, and Momo is like this creepy bird lady statue, and like they were saying that Momo would get on, like tell kids to play a game, they'd like slit their wrist or something. Right, exactly. I think it all ended up being like not a real thing. Yeah, I think it was kind of like the satanic panic, like totally overblown. And but I, I think there also was some real examples of this that you know it took a while for YouTube's algorithm or whatever to to catch that kind of stuff. I'll be honest with you, like kid YouTube is very creepy it's definitely the kind of thing that like i will not let our daughters just run rampant on youtube by themselves. you know it's like if they're gonna watch something we always pick it and then you know we kind of control where they go on there because maybe momo panic is not a real thing but there's definitely some weird stuff on there like we there's this video that uh when our daughter was really young she used to love tickle me elmo uh-huh. And we didn't have the toy, but I found this video. It was like just a guy tickling an Elmo and it would laugh and <laughs> we would play it and she would laugh and it's totally adorable. We wouldn't really show her the video because it was like this really creepy, like hairy, fat arm <laughs> dude, like tickling. I was like, man, what is going on behind the camera on this? Oh my we'll gosh. We'll just stick with the audio on this one just to make this baby laugh, but I don't think we need to be showing this to her. <laughs> Have you been uh, staying up with the last podcast on the left side stories? Uh, no, I haven't really listened to anything other than their Alcatraz stuff recently. Okay, because they've they've mentioned two news stories recently. I think one person uh, went into like a Walmart or a Target and uh, you know was inappropriate with one of the one of the stuffed animals, like mm. just blazingly in public. And then the other one was a house inspector or some kind of a appraiser going into a house and thought he was alone and did something inappropriate with like one of the stuffed animals uh, in the kid's room, but was caught on oh, the, on God. the baby camera or something like that. Of so course. yeah, I, I don't think I want to watch any children's YouTube content unless it had been officially and, uh, uh, you know, vetted properly for sure. Yeah, that's pretty. Did all those videos make it up to children's YouTube or something? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> they have their baby <laughs> cam feed just pushing right out to YouTube. No, it, you know, it's just a reminder that there's uh, some creepy people out there. Indeed, there is. Yeah. Well, I got two things I want to tell you, and then we'll move on from Max Hedrum. One is the best quote that I found. It's just like, the video of him saying this is just like, it's so perfectly done. But he's, he says, have you any idea how successful censorship is on television? Don't know the answer? Hmm, successful, isn't it? It's like such a perfect <laughs> Max Hedrum quote. So good. And then uh, the last thing is his meteoric rise to fame in England forced the entire country to change the Max Hedrum signs all over the country to say Max Height. 
at what I would only assume would be the cost of thousands of pounds. And so in the end, I would call that and the Max Headroom incident a total win for the Max Headroom brand. Very nice. So what's the, uh, what'd you say his name was? Max Fearman or Furman? Oh, Matt Frewer Matt is Frewer. the actor. So what, yeah. what's he been up to since then? How, how does uh, post-Max Headroom life look for... I think he's guy. had a lot of like you know a lot of little bit parts and stuff. Like the only thing I've ever seen him in was the Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, and he has like maybe two minutes on screen. But hmm. you know, I'm sure if you look up his IMDb, uh, maybe you do that research because I forgot to. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. I'll definitely <laughs> check it out. Well, not very contentologist <laughs> of me. Well, besides uh, Max Headroom info, what's on your content circuit lately? Uh, so I got two awesome things I watched. One is on Amazon and it's called host and you have to bear with me because the concept seems so awful. So it is a, it's about a 50 minute horror movie set on zoom during COVID. Those are, well, horror movie is good, but those other three sound awful. And, uh, I heard about this on another podcast, but so this this sh- this movie was created during COVID when everyone was locked down and it's basically it's like 45 minutes, 50 minutes, something like that, whatever the length of the free Zoom call is. So it's like they're on a free Zoom call and it expires whenever, you know, Zoom's time limit is up. And so that's like it's kind of like a fourth wall breaking thing, which is really interesting. The effects are so good. And what's cool is that the director, he wanted to make this film and he knew he couldn't like actually get together with his friends. So he had to train all the people who I believe are not really even actors. They're just like people he knew. He had to train them on how to perform these effects. Like he had the ideas and he would teach them like, you need to do this and set it up this way and frame it this way. And then they shot this whole thing over zoom, edited it together. And man, it is like very, very effective. And I would think, you know, I think that a Zoom movie during COVID would be like super gimmicky, but it just like hits all the right beats for the technology that we're all used to. And plus like kind of the the draconian world we've all been living in. So I would definitely suggest that. Is that something, have you ever heard of this? I have not heard obscure. of this, but I, I'm surprised that uh, you considered all those um, attributes. You kind of mentioned them as being somewhat detrimental considering you just talked about the den which was uh, a little bit of a Zoom horror flick. And you, it was so good you brought it to the show. And I watched it that night and was terrified. But yeah, I could see well, something being, you know, uh, something like this being really good if it's executed properly. It was good. I, I wanted to hold it against the Din also, but the Din nailed it too. So maybe all movies should be shot through Zoom. Makes perfect maybe that's sense. that's the solution. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is actually, this is, I might talk about this on the show at some point, but uh, it's on Apple TV Plus. Called it's called For All Mankind, and it's a an alternate reality uh, that it, in the timeline Russia lands on the moon before America, and then it's like this granulated view of like step by step how that would affect America, how that would affect our space program, and it's just like endlessly fascinating. There's there's clips all over YouTube of it. It's like marines on the moon like fighting like spetsnats and i thought that's what the whole show was going to be but i mean that's not even something i've seen yet i'm into season two so i would definitely recommend that if you have a new iphone 
mine came with a free year of Apple Plus. So might be something to look into if for no other reason than to watch this show. Well, maybe I can break my phone just to get that free subscription. Take a nap in your car while you're waiting for a new one. There you go. What, what am I gonna you? do? What am I gonna do without a phone for an hour? Um, honestly, I have not. Um, I have not really been consuming a lot of content besides what I'm going to be talking about a little bit later. But um, I am still working my way through when I'm like doing the dishes or falling asleep. I'm still uh, plugging away. Um, since I talked about it on the show, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I kind of made it my goal to watch every single episode and every single season straight through and um i am into season 14 now but i i do think i need to correct something i have a feeling that i on the last ep- or on the it's always sunny episode that we recorded i think that i mentioned mac or uh the actor working out and getting super fit after he had put on a bunch of weight and it actually wasn't until season 13 when he kind of did the like super fitness freak look for that like minute with his shirt off joke. Um, but man, so he didn't go like from one extreme to the other. He Correct. Had, like, a normalization period in there. Correct. Yes. And so I think I had forgotten that, but man, season 13 is excellent. It is worth watching all of the episodes and all of the seasons just to get to seasons, uh, season 13. And I have to say the finale um, it's Mac finds his pride. It is definitely, <laughs> it is definitely, um, I kind of breaks the mold. I mean, it is, uh, like an amazing piece of art. It's incredible. So it surprise me because those guys, I mean, they're making comedy, but it's definitely art. Like it's so well written. And it really is. Just elicits such a feeling of grossness. It's hard to do that without some artistic vision. Well, it's it is interesting when you're expecting the uh, chaos and the grossness to like see something really beautiful and really emotional and really touching. So, definitely appreciate season thirteen and had to make that correction. Um, but maybe the next time we talk, I will have uh, will have gotten through all the uh, at least the available seasons on Hulu. Sounds so. like I need to watch about ninety episodes so I can catch up. So I know what you're talking about. Get on it. <laughs> oh man, so much homework. It's a lot of All homework. Right, Brett. I'll put everything else aside. Perfect. Kids, raise right. yourselves. That's right. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and then when we come back, we will get into some content. Ooh, content. Hello listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, content now. <laughs> I need it. I want it. Well, I got a good question for you. Uh, actually, in, we always start in uh, in Flip Six Three Hole. Um, in honor of him, let me make this a little bit of a quiz question. So what? Ooh. So what do Chewbacca, Luigi, and Samwise Gamgee all have in common? 
uh, all fictional characters. <laughs> I guess that's uh, technically correct. But what I was going for is they are all sidekicks. Oh, yes, they are. Good one. Yeah. But okay. I'm not going to be talking about sidekicks from Star Wars or Mario or Lord of the Rings because I'm talking about Marvel, buddy. And oh, with, right. with more heroes in the MCU than I can count, some of them are bound to become more ancillary superheroes. They're still super, but they're more like a side serving of super. But recently, two of these sidekicks have joined hands begrudgingly at first, and they've stepped into the Marvel spotlight together. I know where this is going, <laughs> Brett. All right. <laughs> let's, I love it. Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two. The Falcon, Falcon and, and the, the Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. Yes. <laughs> you got it, buddy. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, though. Yeah. I'm still a few episodes from the end, so don't that's spoil okay. it for me. That's perfect. That's kind of the goal. I, I was... I was like already planning on talking about this almost immediately after I finished um, the first and only season available. And I mentioned it to Brie and she said, you have to make it spoiler free, right? Like you have you to. You have to. Yeah. And um, so we'll, we'll kind of, we'll get there, but it's, it's going to be um, basically spoiler free. We're only really allowed to spoil things when we say so, because we're contentologists, but also <laughs> realistically when something is kind of old. It, for sure. I think that's the general rule of thumb. And I, I mean, in this case, like I realize this is really the fastest anything has ever gone from content release to contentologist recommendation. Ooh, um, man, that's got to be a record. It, you know what? Actually, before uh-huh. we get into this, um, do you remember when we first were coming up with the concept of this show, we were like, oh, we should call it spoiler alert. And then we looked it up and there were like five other podcasts called that. So luckily we didn't <laughs> go with that. It would have made it much harder to find us. That is true. Um, yeah, I, I do vaguely remember that. That's that's a pretty genius name, though. I want to listen to that show just to see if it's as good as the name is. Those shows, you mean? Oh, yeah. All, all <laughs> three dozen of them. Yeah, it's probably great the first time. Well, you mentioned that it's probably a record. I think that this is a record that's going to keep uh, for a while because the last... Uh, episode of the series of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier just aired on Disney Plus on Friday, and we're recording this on Sunday. So I imagine we're not going to be able to top this, at least for a while. It's a hot turnaround. Yeah. So before I dive in, I would like to express my excitement for the upcoming MCU expansion via Disney Plus. If there was any doubt in anyone's minds about Disney's ability to pull off a successful television adaptations of legendary film franchises, well, you probably didn't see The Mandalorian then because they nailed it with that. <laughs> oh, man. what a They came out swinging, man. It's so good. So good that the main character got its own dog named after it. And I'm talking about That's my dog, true. Mando. That is success. By a famous contentologist, <laughs> no less. Harvard certified and everything. <laughs> yes, some creds. Yeah, we're gonna have to put the disclaimer in there for our uh, make our lawyer happy. Anytime we mention Harvard now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are, we're seriously gonna get some certified mail from the real, the real Harvard uh, School of Magic. That might be the best publicity we ever got. <laughs> That's true. Um. So after The Mandalorian, along came a little show that I've mentioned before called WandaVision. Now, I would have loved to tackle WandaVision on the content clearinghouse, and maybe one day I will, but WandaVision is a show that's so unique 
with meta storytelling that is really based on deconstructing and paying homage to the content within the content. So I'm not sure I'm up to the task, but WandaVision ended. I, I shed some tears. My grief, though, was quickly overshadowed by my excitement for the next juicy Marvel Studios show, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And now six episodes later, and all of my content attention is occupied by what is next from Marvel Disney+. Plus. Loki, premiering June 11th. What if it's an animated series coming this summer? Hawkeye and Miss Marvel, both scheduled late 2021. Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Secret Invasion, Ironheart, Armor Wars, I Am Groot, and an untitled Wakanda series. Josh? Yes? <laughs> Will you please sign this petition requesting the Wuhan Biolab to speed up the production and release of a dangerous and contagious virus that forces us all back into our homes <laughs> so that I can oh, no. binge watch every upcoming <laughs> Disney Plus Marvel series? Oh my God. I will not sign that, but I do want to know when did you start working for Disney? Cause you're really doing a lot of free advertising for them right now. This is uh, I do not think Disney would endorse what I'm about to say, but I, okay. <laughs> so just to prove, just to prove to you, I'm not a, just a audience plant, uh, gorilla, gorilla marketing, uh, underground headroom of the 21st century. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> I've already thought of a name for this virus that's going to allow me to uh, binge watch these shows. I call it the Marvella virus. Ooh. Don't want to get caught right. with Marvid 21. Oh, no. It's coming out this year. <laughs> Damn it. We just got oh, vaccinated. You're not going to hear about it until 2022. So it's just like COVID-19. Anyway. It seems reasonable. Uh, so, All right, I'll sign your petition, Brett. You convinced me. <laughs> oh, so inappropriate. One last thing. <laughs> WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, they're the first Marvel series on Disney, but I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to mention one of my favorite Marvel things ever. I don't know if we've talked about this, Josh. I think we have. I know I've talked about it with Mike, but Daredevil on Netflix? It's very awesome and i liked i i really like season two better than season one yeah and part of that was that i just loved the introduction of punisher oh i yeah. would say Absolutely. i wouldn't say daredevil was my, was one of my favorites i did love it but one of my definite favorites was the punisher series yeah and the, they kind of rolled together like i thought john bernthal was basically like the perfect punisher perfect and I, man the story was just like so brutal i don't think you'd see that on disney yeah i don't i don't know if you would that's a good point um i mean john bernthal vincent d'onofrio charlie cox what i loved about daredevil was just the absolute insane stunt scenes the fight choreography uh the behind the scenes stuff so good anyway enough about that we're gonna get into some content so minor spoilers ahead because like you said and unlike last week, uh, where we invited Flip Six Three Hole on the show to discuss Point Break, this is not a piece of content that is almost as old as I am. So <laughs> here's what Still I'm gonna... making good stuff these days, though. <laughs> That's that is true. So what I'm gonna do is uh, I'm gonna give a basic rundown of the setup. I'm gonna mention just some of the difficult topics that the show explores. 
And then I'm going to dive into a few incredible details that I can't stop thinking about that I think will enhance your viewing experience if you haven't seen any or all of the episodes yet. And the whole time, almost spoiler-free for the most part. Are you cool with that? That sounds like the perfect synopsis of what we envision the show to be. Wonderful. Spoiler alert. New name for the oh, show. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So um, the show picks up essentially where Endgame ended. The half that were blipped away and and uh, I, I should say they were snapped away and blipped back. They've been back for about six months or so. If you remember at the end of Endgame, Captain America had decided to return to the past to live out what had uh, been a temporarily unrequited love with Peggy Carter due to the whole getting frozen in ice for like 70 years. So plus one for time travel. And in the touching moment at the end that the old Captain America, he sat for a moment with his two best friends in the world, Sam and Bucky. And these are two friends who had uh, also served in the military. And so they, they understood the challenges of war, the perspective of a soldier and as the symbol of Captain America is, you know, more than just Steve Rogers, it's it's more than just a man. Steve passed on his shield to Sam, which, like him, is a symbol which represents so much more, especially to this deserving veteran Sam Wilson, aka the Falcon. So Endgame was this like truly satisfying end to this, you know, what, I mean, what can you say about? Uh, Endgame. I mean, it's a, it, it was the end of an epic cinematic storytelling era. Exactly. And Captain Rogers, I mean, he lived out this well-earned retirement and kind of old-timey uh, peace in the past. The mantle of Captain America had been passed on to this honorable superhero veteran who could offer air super- superiority with some uh, pretty sweet deployable wings. But no helmet and no leg straps. <laughs> Don't need them. At least he has a chest strap. Not. <laughs> yeah. Bucky Barnes, I mean, he had that moment where he looked really cool shooting things with Rocket the Trash Panda. Uh, and most importantly, trash panda. Thanos had been defeated and the billions of people living on Earth who turned to dust were back, baby. All is good. What a well, happy know, ending. Oh, it's just I so... know one thing uh-huh. about superhero stories, that means that nothing bad will ever happen again. Exactly. <laughs> so, wait a minute here. I'm... I'm getting a text message from the uh, plot of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It says here, (laughs) there are often unforeseen circumstances that can sometimes be very challenging that arise from things that at face value seem only positive in nature. Okay, let's see. Let me scroll down here to read some more. Okay. It says, Steve Rogers didn't just retire from his post, but heading into the past, he also abandoned his two friends without warning, unwittingly causing psychological trauma, unaddressed grief, and opening the door for some serious friend group drama. That sounds pretty bad. Okay, wait, I'm getting another text here. Uh, Oh, yeah, and it says here, he handed his iconic shield bearing the stars and stripes, a literal symbol of America, to a black man in a fictional universe that mirrors our own real universe, one full of racial tensions, expectations, and supremacy. And on top of that, he is strongly implying that his friend will assume the role of Captain America while not offering any mentorship or guidance on how he should go about filling what may be literally the world's biggest shoes to fill. This is a super soldier and American icon for over 75 years who has saved the world on multiple occasions 
and who's been a comic book level representation of the best parts of the U.S. as well as exemplifying everything that is good, honest, and truthful in humanity. These are really weird text messages. Sorry, I'm getting another one here. <laughs> are you sure that Bree's not sending you these? Because it sounds like she, somebody might be reading your notes. <laughs> <laughs> or reading my mind. Yes. So this says uh, we have Bucky Barnes, who may or may not have been hiding out from the entire world in Wakanda and addressing some serious mental health issues, the kinds of issues that can only come from being captured by an evil enemy force during a world war, experimented on, and then being turned against his will into a programmed assassin super soldier. So Bucky seems like a pretty great guy, but... Um, that's when he's not actively suffering from uh, mental programming or flashbacks or PTSD. And uh, and this is, I'm, I'm putting my phone away. Speaking of PTSD, we have John Walker joining the mix. And I know you you're, you have a lot to say about this. I mean, the best. John Walker, he is just another blue-eyed, blonde-haired, ruggedly handsome soldier carefully selected by what I imagine was some kind of federal government marketing team to hold the shield and be patriotic, but who has all kinds of struggles and demons that he's struggling with. And finally, this, in my opinion, this is definitely the biggest fallout from the quote unquote positive events at the end of Endgame. What does a world look like when five years after half the population disappears, everyone shows up again? I mean, with with how much thinking I do about Marvel movies and storytelling, I am embarrassed to admit that this was a serious omission of my brain. Maybe whatever attention I was going to give this eventually, like, like what would really happen if people were Housing just crisis. snapped out and snapped back in? I mean, I think that my attention was expertly diverted by a Spider-Man far from home. How much do you remember about that movie? Uh, you know what? I need to go back and watch it because we went to see it with Isla when she was small and she started crying halfway through and we had to leave. So I never saw the ending of it. Yeah, and it's a good one. I really, I've been wanting to see it and haven't found it on any streaming services since then. Disney but plus I think that is it on there? Every Marvel movie is. I looked on there. Is I it don't not? think the Spider-Man movies are on there, Brett. Oh, cause of uh, Sony crap. Cause of Sony. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm looking it but, up right now. That would be just crazy. <laughs> I think I'm right, and I do want to see it again. I might end up having to just buy it at some point. But I think holy crap, I, you're right. It is not on there. Just I don't know if you, I don't know if you were aware <laughs> that I graduated. There's a uh, um, two, four, six, eight Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies, and not a not no Marvel MCU Spider-Man movies. Yeah, I think a world after blip would be I think that they would be dealing with overcrowding because the whole world had kind of moved on and adapted to having less people sure and I think exactly. there would be I think that like there'd be an explosion of like pollution and trash overload that the the current infrastructure wasn't really set up to take care of anymore I think there would be a housing crisis yeah food production just, yeah a lot of resources would yeah. have been like resource production would have been dumbed down and I don't know, it'd be a lot of poverty and homelessness and just kind of the issues that were plagued with today, but on a much grander scale. Definitely. And is this something that you thought about after Endgame? 
Uh, I mean, I don't know if I really thought about it too deeply until right now, but I think it, it kind of maybe it crossed my mind before. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it just wasn't something I thought about. And I so the reason I brought up Spider-Man Far From Home, that film was the first post-snap or post-blip uh, MCU film. And the way they dealt with it, they, it was very casual and comical. I mean, it was literally like high schoolers reuniting and just hugging like, oh, hey, guys, I haven't seen you all summer because, uh, you know, none of us existed. Uh, and <laughs> in fact, it was actually the the movie Far From Home that introduced the term the blip. And I did find an article that clarifies this a little bit better. Uh, this is from 2019. It's uh, Refinery29 is the website. I'm going to link it in the show notes. But we, we call it the snap from Thanos that wiped away half of humanity. But um, it's uh, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, in an interview. He said they always referred to this as the blip. But when the public started referring to it as the snap, that's what kind of stuck. But then the way they kind of uh, portrayed it in the Spider-Man movie, he said it's you know kind of funny that high school kids just call this horrific universe-changing event the blip. So what they've narrowed it down to now is the snap is when everybody disappeared and then the blip is when everybody returned at the end of Endgame. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the more I think about this, you've already talked about um, all the logistical issues. And the, one of the ways that we kind of have seen how the blip works is everybody who disappeared reappears wherever they were when they got snapped. So the scenario we see in the Spider-Man movie is half the marching band disappears in the school's gym. And when they reappear, there's a basketball game in progress and just like chaos ensues. Um, Sucked to have been on an airplane when that happened. So they actually discussed that too. They said, you know, if you were say a passenger and both pilots got snapped and the plane crashed and you died in the plane crash, but you weren't snapped away. You're done. Yeah. You're done. You're not, you're not being brought back in the blip. Um, But what, Kevin Feige kind of uh, the way they explain this away is that when um, the Hulk snapped his fingers and brought everybody back, he brought everybody back in like a safe location. Of course. Of course. He's it just so makes wise. sense. He's <laughs> why Have not? you seen the website? Did Thanos kill dot me? I have where not. you just, when you go to it, it just tells you if you got snapped or not. It's just like uh, flipping a, it's like a random 50-50 generator. Oh, you I don't got even it. read this, but it says, I was slain by Thanos for the <laughs> oh good God. of the universe. You should probably see if you were at one point also, because it would kind of determine if this podcast ever existed, you might have a different co-host. <laughs> All right, I'm looking I'm looking up this website. Uh, did Thanos kill me dot me? Did Thanos kill dot me? Oh, geez. You were slain by Thanos for the good of the universe. No! No content clearinghouse in that timeline. Sorry, friends. So, Anyways, back to this timeline. Yeah, so another thing, uh, Aunt May, she later explains that when she's blipped back, she appeared in her apartment, and her apartment had been rented out to new tenants, and that the couple who had moved in were just super confused. Um, so that gives you some idea of the basic problems that humanity is about to face after the blip due to the well-intentioned actions of the Avengers. Um but you know you you mentioned infrastructure i mean society governments uh, imagine the personal issues i mean unimaginable trauma as soon as these people 
start to heal and basically deal with their new reality. And, you know, one of the scenes in uh, Endgame, one of the opening scenes, is we see Steve Rogers, Captain America. He's leading some kind of, like, grief counseling discussion, some sort of therapy group, and he's encouraging the participants to move on. And so I was thinking about it, writing the outline for this, and I think it would maybe take about five years to start that process of, you know, grieving, acceptance, rebuilding. And then all of a sudden, as that, you know, you're starting to feel like this is your new normal, uh, without warning, every single person that was snapped out just reappears again. I mean... Thanos <laughs> was the good guy. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, the, stance, the end of Endgame was like heartwarming, touching, the perfect just like they they tied you know they put the bow on they tied up all the loose ends i didn't think about any of these ramifications even in subsequent movies like spider-man far from home but that is the beauty of the falcon and the winter soldier is they you know are starting to explore these issues you know why it seems so great in endgame is because you're really only dealing with all of the keynote characters that you all come to love like of course if Doctor Strange and the Guardians of the Galaxy and whoever yeah. you see, else. You see T'Challa come coming through the you know the very first portal. Like it's you're just like yeah, it's a triumph for sure. Yeah, like all they co- all of them come back. You're like oh that's great. Like they're all heroes. Of course they'd be able to find some place to fit in. Yeah, but you don't yeah, think about the millions and billions of people. I suppose that come back. That's like that's where the real problems would start. Right. You don't think about you appearing back in your house and finding your wife uh you know with another uh you know another husband raising your kids because she just thought you were gone it's a rough one man (laughs) thanks a lot marvel i mean i was thinking about imagine just you know half of the chipotles have to shut down due to their (laughs) demand being cut in half and then all of a sudden everybody's back first thing i want to do I want to go to Chipotle after I haven't existed for five years, but not enough Chipotles to to meet demand. I mean, it would be chaos. It would. I guess it would actually kind of depend on how much you were craving Chipotle when you got snapped away. <laughs> yeah, that is. If you had just eaten, you may not want to go right away. There you might need to go to the bathroom. There was at least a few hundred people in line at Chipotle when the snap happened. Easily. Easily. Yeah. And then think of the chicken shortage. <laughs> yeah, think true. of the chicken shortage. Well, right. they get snapped back. So the chickens are, they're ready to go. Yeah, but I doubt there's going to be enough on the grill for everyone <laughs> when they pop back into line. <laughs> We're only discussing the important matters. <laughs> so with- This is what you came here to talk about tonight, that's right? That's right, Chipotle. So with the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I mean, the, these negative consequences, you know, we, we finally start to see what's really going to result from this, not just the- just not just the good things. So you get instability. You've get the you get these bad actors that are taking advantage of this chaos that are rising to power. We see the complexity of the issues that politicians are dealing with, heroes, enemies. I mean, we have moral ambiguity. We have a the very problematic and slippery slopes that are caused with terms and labels like, you know, terrorist or hero. And blurring the line between good and evil, that is something that we see a lot in, say, The Walking Dead or in Breaking Bad. 
It is not something, in my opinion, that has really been explored quite in this way within the MCU until now. So taking the Flag Smashers motto at face value, one world, one people. That's a pretty agreeable statement. I mean, we are one world, we are one people, but it's also just like the perfect line for a freedom-fighting icon who goes too far and becomes a, I don't know, violent terrorist spreading fear and pain. So There's one thing humanity does best. It's taking agreeable ideas and uh, turning them into something that it's a lot of people can find a problem with. All right, Thanos, get back here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to be snapped. That's it's dark, but it's it's true. And I, this is kind of the new evolution, I think, of the MCU. Um, you know, maybe it's not as dark as say the Punisher that you mentioned, but it really is a different shift for Marvel. Like a, a more real world ramification. I think type so. Storytelling. I think so. Yeah, I mean, we the, the you know Marvel has these old characters, and now they have new perspectives, and now we have new characters with motivations that are shifting or changing. I mean, character relationships are changing. Uh, there's these mature and inspiring, honest explorations of issues like immigration, repatriation, race, history, supremacy, public perception, uh, personal accountability making amends. I mean, these are some of the issues that this show really does not shy away from. I mean, it, it, it gets in there. Um, but that is, that is as far as I'm going to talk about the plot. Um, cause I'm just trying to keep this, try to keep this uh spoiler free. So how am I doing? I haven't spoiled anything yet. Right. It's great, man. All right. Contentologying the shit out of it right I now. I love it. All right. So I'm going to dive into two, uh, two exceptional details that I, I can't stop thinking about. Now, the first one is a bit of a minor character spoiler, but you know, I just don't think that this detail is uh, really going to upset anybody. And if you are the type of person that's like a super obsessed fan and this would upset you, you've probably already seen all the episodes. So here goes. Uh, in episode, episode five, uh, Truth, Bucky reveals that he's right-handed and that he doesn't think of using his left hand immediately despite the fact he has a super strong vibranium arm on his left now oh, that's interesting interesting I, yeah yeah interestingly enough though this isn't just some new little detail that they added to you know include just for this show to add some character development for him in true marvel fashion this little detail has stayed consistent and can actually be seen since the winter soldier that he he doesn't really use his left hand even though um that would obviously be a huge advantage. The exception to this is the winter soldier. On the other hand, when he's acting as the winter soldier, he does think of his left hand first and that makes the winter soldier a superior fighter. Yeah. Or it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's some kind of like programming or, you know, he was basically like a Manchurian candidate style, um, assassin. He was like a totally different person when those code words were spoken. And so all of a sudden it's like, he's going to use the shit out of his vibranium metal arm. And that so, makes him like more of a, more of a super powered character. I know like, I, I remember there's the really iconic shot in winter soldier of him catching the shield with his vibranium arm, or maybe it wasn't vibranium at that point, but his, his robot arm. Yeah. The, and I know you're right. It wasn't vibranium yet. That's true. You see him a lot. Use it as a defensive measure, like holding it up to block bullets and stuff. 
But yeah, I actually hadn't caught on to that little detail. And actually, I think that my contentology degree might be taking a little bit of a hit right now because I don't know how or why Bucky lost his arm in the first place or why it was ever replaced with a metal arm. That's okay. There's so, there's so many Marvel movies that um, it is explained in The Winter Soldier. And it's just a good excuse uh, to go back and watch all the, all the Marvels straight through like I am Except doing with this. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, I actually watched that recently. I th- <laughs> did I tell you that? No. It wasn't good. I've never seen it. It wasn't good. I'm just assuming it's awful. Yeah, I wasn't. I do need to go back and watch Winter Soldier because I do think that's like... It's one of the best. In the, yeah, it's in the top five easily. A, a lot of lists have put that as the greatest Marvel movie. It's It's the first one that I realized... Marvel is, you know, really dissecting some topics like science fiction would, like sociological, big picture stuff. I mean, they talk about freedom versus security uh, at a time when we, you know, we were dealing with that even more like post 9-11 than we are right now. And the movie did a fantastic job of exploring those concepts. But um, so I just texted you a, how I discovered this little detail. So, so this was a uh, uh, user, the superhero access on Reddit. He compiled some images from both the TV series, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the movie Captain America and the Winter Soldier to show, you know, different like iconic moments and the difference between when he's right-handed and when he's the Winter Soldier. Um, so I'm going to link just that Reddit post in the show notes and maybe we can share that on social media, but I thought that was kind of cool that's really awesome that's incredible actually yeah yeah they really do a lot with their continuity in the mcu it's incredible so another detail and i i've teased this on the show before and honestly this is part of the inspiration for talking about this particular series on tonight's episode now this comes from a tumblr called uh stucky together in a post called all my cries are for bucky barnes anyway so in this, very emo. <laughs> in this blog, in this <clears throat> blog post or whatever you, you want to call it, there is a compilation of tweets from Margaret Owen, uh, temporary hermit. That's what it says on her Twitter, and she can be found at the Twitter at what uh, underscore eats underscore owls. But she doesn't want you to find her because she's living that hermit life. I, I not online. Must be just a physical hermit. That I, sounds like people living online. Yeah, it, it does. Um, so in response to somebody... T- <clears throat> I got to drink some of this delicious tea that I brewed. Hold on. <clears throat> I will attest that it looks delicious. At least the mug I can see. That looks like a tasty mug, Brett. Absolutely fantastic. So um, in response to somebody tweeting, with the caveat, there are very few people in the world who have... Chris Evans's jawline. I still got to wonder if making the cap uniform look this bad on Walker in comparison was a deliberate design choice. Now, John Walker, for anyone who has not seen it, is the new Captain America. We mentioned it briefly earlier, but we should say it again. I love it. John Walker, new cap. Now, as soon as I read this, um, and I don't remember how I stumbled across this blog post, but my spidey senses uh, from Sony, not from Disney Plus, tingled because I felt that very same way as soon as I saw John Walker, the new Captain America, in uniform on screen. 
So I know you. I know I sent this article to you. Have you read it? What was your reaction when you saw uh, John Walker? Give me give me some thoughts because I know you have an eye for this stuff. Yeah. So his suit does look like. Well, it doesn't look iconic like Captain America's suit. It does have a little bit of a an off kilter appearance. It looks kind of like a villain suit. I haven't gone far enough into the story. I don't know what John Walker's story becomes, but I I was like instantly sold on this show when he came on screen. I would love to see a show that's just about him because it's such a fascinating idea of having some rube step into the <laughs> role of Captain America. Like even though he is he's clearly like got some kind of super abilities or something or he's just really good at throwing shield around. But, you know, it's it, it seems that anyone with, like, an eye for the genuine would think that it's impossible to, to replace Captain America. And I would imagine, like, in this world, there would definitely be people that would buy into the camp of, like, oh, yeah, anybody in the Captain America uniform is my hero because I'm on Team Captain America. But right. <laughs> I think there are also people who are maybe a little bit more discerning that would be, like, Captain America is Steve Rogers and Steve Rogers is Captain America and you can't have one without the other. And any attempt to do that is clearly just some, you know, like misguided effort to cash in. I think we've talked about that before on the show. And so I really like the idea of them dealing with this new Captain America who he's like, you know, he's trying to do what he do what he can, but no one in the know really accepts him. And then the things you're going to talk about with his suit, I did not catch on to them because I don't know, maybe it's just I didn't know enough of the background. But the things that you're going to mention are extremely fascinating because it all, as a fan theory goes, it all works very well. Well, if there's anything spoilerific in what I'm going to talk about is, you know, the idea is John Walker appears a little unsettling in his new uniform. And I'm going to break down exactly why, because I couldn't put my finger on it, but uh, this hermit on Twitter uh, really lays it out. And so obviously they're doing this. This won't ruin anything. I don't think so. I mean, no, they don't do it in the movie or in the, in the show. What do you mean? Oh, they don't break it down like this. Exactly. I I think that this would enhance uh, the viewing experience. Um, But, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. This is, it, it's, probably obvious that there's some foreshadowing with these costume elements but i feel like people would kind of pick up on that immediately when they're like uh who's this guy (laughs) and why does it look like such a ding dong (laughs) so and you know john walker so he's played by wyatt russell i mean he is so good objectively uh handsome he's the son of actors kurt russell and goldie hahn i mean this is Honestly, this should be like another handsome all-American white guy just stepping into the role. I mean, that's exactly what I imagine the government entity responsible for this in the MCU universe. I imagine they were intending to inspire patriotism during this difficult post-blip time of, you know, tumultuous problems. So the, um, the real superhero of my content piece is this lady, Margaret Owen temporary hermit because the the design choices that uh that she breaks down she says that they're telegraphing villain in the making with walker's costume and she broke this down long before 
the finale or there's any, uh, you know, it, we were really deep into this season. So I, I highly recommend checking out the link for the visual aids, but I'm going to cover a couple of things. So when compared to the original Cap, who had a lot of costume variants, there are several things right off the bat that just shout not the same. So instead of Cap's typical brown leather accessories with silver detailing, there's black rubber, Velcro, plastic, and minimal detailing. As for color... Cheap. <laughs> exactly. Cheap and, and inorganic <laughs> and fake. Um, so as for color... Ooh, the bl- This is like our discussion about papyrus papyrus oh yeah the uh, go. material uh, Dis- dishonesty the material dishonesty That's it. yeah exactly yeah oh throwback to the earlier days of uh cch pod so blue uh is more cyan than the typical cap with john walker and the red has these orange undertones um so let's let's talk about the red it's particularly notable steve rogers red has these cool undertones so in shade, if he's like under a tree or something, it kind of shows up as magenta with pink highlights. And even when it's faded, it keeps these cool undertones. John Walker's red clashes against the green undertones in his navy fabric. And it's really warm with orange highlights and brown tones. So this is evocative of blood. The opaque plastic detailing looks like veins or exposed wounds. Now, once you once you read this or once you hear this, I mean, you cannot unsee it. It is so it's very Hellraiser. It's very well thought out for sure. But it's it's like a Hellraiser type of look. He does look like he has slashes, like yeah. bleeding slashes in his suit. Exactly. I mean, it it's like veiny, off-putting red. So then you add that black leather or that black pleather, and you have this like really hostile palette. But that is just the beginning. So something easy to notice from the very first shot of Walker is kind of the overall texture. Steve's uniforms always look like they're made from a variety of fabrics and materials. They look lived in. They look organic. They look kind of like used a little bit. But Walker's looks very plastic, very manufactured. There's no variety except for the plastic-looking black kind of pleather and the vein-like arm details. So also Steve wore... Oh, poor Mando. He, I think he's hacking up a hairball. Oh, you okay, buddy? So adorable. He's okay. Dog it's very cute. <laughs> so also, um, Steve, he wears a lot of symbols, but none of them were a direct reproduction of the U.S. flag. But in, in contrast, Walker has a flag printed right on his sleeve. And of course, the big star on Steve's chest, and then there's this A on his helmet, Now, on Walker, the A has been merged with the star, and it's suddenly this really weird, sinister symbol. So the left and right points of the star, they're thinner and they're sharper, and it makes it look visually hollow. It does not look nice. It doesn't look good. Are you looking at it right now? No, I just remember what what it looks like. I got an eye for logos, and it's not like a nice-looking logo. It is not a nice-looking logo. Um, On Steve, so the chest is just front and center. On Walker, it's in a weird spot on his right collar bro- on his right collarbone, and it makes it look really asymmetrical and unbalanced. And now, of course, this might be a little hint that Walker himself is not quite balanced. And on that note, Walker's collarbone chest insignia 
it is as far from his heart as possible and still kind of be in this upper torso range. And in fact, I learned from this that military medals are only worn on the left breast by those who earned them. So if you didn't earn the honor, let's say like your grandfather passed his medals down to you and you wanted to wear them in his honor at a funeral or something like that. You, you could wear those medals, but you do it on the right to show that you didn't earn them. That's now, exactly where it is. Walker's insignia is on the right. Exactly. That's really good. So the stripes. Now, the stripes that show up on Steve look natural. So they're either horizontal, but they're up high, and they look like an extension of the pecs design, or they're kind of over the stomach running vertically, stars and stripes, and they kind of look like ab protection or something like that. But on John, you get these horizontal stripes on the entire torso that just look wrong. I mean, the asymmetry, clashing colors, even the shape of the stripes has these like little central bump on them that look like they could be a, um, I don't know, representative of like machinery or manufacturing. And you know, once again, this just adds to his artificial look. So the last thing that Margaret Owen deconstructs is the helmet. And this is, once again, something that like, really just kind of was glaringly, I don't know, it just unsettled me. It was really odd looking. And I'm really glad she could put it into words. Because once you hear the explanation, it's it seems so obvious. But Steve's helmet, it has these eye holes that are larger, rounder, more exposed, more expressive. But walkers are narrower. They follow the lines of the underlying bone that forms the cheekbones and the eye sockets. I mean, it literally is accentuating the shape of a skull, and it makes Walker just project this unsettling and sinister vibe from literally the first moment he walks out as Captain America. So you really do a good <laughs> job of framing him up in a very weird angle. Like humans don't really look good from underneath. Yeah, you know, like when you see when you like when you look at a human face from below, the proportions are all wrong. Like the top is kind of scrunched down, and the bottom, like the jawline, is real big. And I think they did that intentionally. I think everybody has seen this shot of John Walker, the first shot, because there's been all the memes of him looking like the guy from the old guy from Up and stuff. You know, I have He's got like this really weird wide mouth. But I'm pretty uh-huh. sure they did that on purpose to make him look like instantly like. This is not Captain America. Well, I think there's also a... Um, there's going to be a scene that you have not seen yet that you get a, a very similar perspective. So I think it's also uh, some more foreshadowing to that scene as well. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, I'm really trying to keep this spoiler-free for the most part, so I can't get really too much into the real star of the show, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Falcon. Uh, The man who plays The Falcon, one of my new favorite actors, Anthony Mackie. What an incredible performance in this show. Awesome character arc. Definitely setting up many more exciting storylines to come from Marvel. And it's really, I mean, when I reflect on this, it has taken so many movies to establish these storylines and develop these characters and just create this incredibly well thought out universe and uh, i mean we've talked about this all the time almost every one of these mcu movies explores some deeper topic whether it's social or on the more personal side but now with this longer medium the universe 
in the MCU is poised to get even deeper into these complex moral waters that we are all paddling through in real life every day, whether we want to or not. And it is content like this that shines a light into these topics and in the relative safety of a fictional universe and fictional entertainment. And I think we need to have these discussions and we should be thinking about these uh, these ideas. And I did want to mention Julia Louis-Dreyfus. That's all I'm going to say. So, uh, Josh, I give Falcon and the Winter Soldier three thumbs up. The which... new sign of value and quality of the <laughs> clearinghouse. That's right. We established this. Uh, last week on the last episode, it is a perfect score from a contentologist. <laughs> so here's a good pun for you. Marvelous things are coming from Disney Plus, Josh. If WandaVision... No pun acknowledged. <laughs> okay. I think you acknowledged it by saying that. So joke's on you. You got me. It's a logic loop. <laughs> so if WandaVision, uh, which I also highly recommend, was all about grief and family and... I mean, it could be even about one of the greatest Marvel romances in history. Well, surely the tribulations and triumphs of Sam and Bucky represent Marvel's greatest bromance and one of the best pairings since Turkish delights and European fur collar trench coats. And speaking of that last thing I just said, one more link in the show notes is going to be the hour long cut of Zemo dancing. You'll have to check it out. <laughs> so to listeners out there, what are you waiting for? Check out Falcon and the Winter Soldier and let us know what you think. Do you have anything to add to my content piece without spoiling anything? Falcon and the Winter Soldier are the Johnny Utah and Bodie of the <laughs> MCU. <laughs> I, I think we should end there because that uh, that makes this a three thumbs up episode. Nailed it. Nailed it. Brett. That was amazing. Uh, I was already sold on this, but now I actually, I think I might start over again and rewatch. I've watched three episodes. I might go back and rewatch them because I know there's a lot that I missed. There's a lot of undertones and things about the blip, just storyline and plot points that you briefly touched on that I did not pick up on the first time. So I think I'm going to start over and go back and watch the entire thing. It's very good. I'd be remiss. If I didn't mention yet again that my good friend Mickey Nuttall, who I'll name drop right now, stunt doubled Anthony Mackie in the opening scene of the show. So if you're a skydiver and you know Mickey, which I'm sure a lot of you do, you should definitely go watch this for that alone, just to see him doing awesome stunts in the MCU. And then it's coupled on top of an amazing show. So check it out, Brett. I love the breakdown you did. I love everything you do. I'm a real <laughs> fan, by the way. I need to get your autograph next time I see you. I appreciate so, your three thumbs up. That. Absolutely. Three thumbs up from me. <laughs> I'll have to recruit you for at least one of them. But thanks for that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We love you guys also. Please follow us on social media at the Content Clearinghouse on Facebook and on Instagram. You could email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We have a Discord channel, which we do get on from time to time. So get on there if you want to talk to us directly. And stay tuned. Next week, we're going to bring some more awesome content. Ooh, content.